The first reading from Colossians comes from chapter 1, verses 9 through to 23. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whose thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are created, so it hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and which I, Paul, have become a servant. The second reading from Colossians comes from chapter 2, verses 13 through to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thanks, Annie, and good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again. My name's Rob, and uh, as you know, I'm part of the congregation here, but I'm, at the moment I'm the locum, the substitute minister, while Pete Caroline is away. Um, and at the moment we've been uh, started a, a three-week series last week on the cross and the world and uh, the cross meaning Jesus' death on the cross and the world meaning uh, the way that human beings generally live their lives in rejection and opposition to God. I'm just thinking about those two things and then the first week we thought about what the cross shows us and we saw that the cross shows us the reality of human beings that given the opportunity how do we respond to God? We try to kill God. It was an bit of an ugly picture of humanity in what in Jesus' death on the cross. But also we see God's love for us, that he sends his son. We see Jesus' love for us, that he's willing to give himself in this way. And we also see a, a new humanity, a different kind of humanity that Jesus displays, a self-giving, self-sacrificing, worshipping humanity, an alternate humanity 
to the, the world's normal way of being. So that was last week, what the cross shows us. Next week, we're going to think about what the cross does to us. And I hope that that's going to be interesting, just a, a, a different way of thinking about the cross. And today, what the cross achieves for us, which maybe is our normal way of talking about the cross. I'm not sure what you think, but I think perhaps we're most used to this. The thing that I really want to highlight for us today is that the, the Bible is incredibly rich in the way it speaks about what is actually going on when Jesus dies on the cross and what it, what it does for us, what Jesus has achieved for us by doing that. And uh, just to do that, I want to look at a single passage or a couple of passages actually, but from one book, the, the letter to the Colossians uh, and just the first half of the book. And I found eight different things that Paul says here about the cross and what the cross achieves for us. And so I want to just try and show you that, that even in that brief space of one book of the Bible, there's lots and lots of different ways that Paul shows us we can think about and understand what Jesus has done. And it's, it's, it's like it, what has been done for us is so rich and so amazing that it needs lots of lots of different pictures and metaphors and stories to tell to give, to give us the full picture. It's so amazing that it needs lots of angles on it for us to really get it. So I'm going to try and do, I'll try and do eight in eight minutes. Does that sound, that sound fair? I mean, that's not going to be the end of the sermon, but at least that gives you hope because I said I'd talk about eight things. Why don't we, so let's do those really quickly. If you look at the passage, I'll try and point them out to you and just tell you a little bit about each one of the eight that we see. Uh, first of all, the cross qualifies us. This is verse 12. Uh, he says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So the implication here is that we were disqualified. We were not qualified to be part of God's people. We weren't qualified to, re to be God's inheritors, to receive anything from God. But God has, through Jesus dying on the cross, qualified us. We're not imposters if we come to God. We're not imposters if we claim to... Um, to know God and belong to God. No, actually, we're qualified. We're fully qualified to know him. We're qualified for his kingdom. Second one, the cross rescues us. The cross rescues us, verse 13. Uh, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We were trapped in the dominion of darkness this is another way of talking about the world, the reality of human life, lived in opposition to God. And Jesus, by his death on the cross, rescues us out of that situation, brings us safely into a new situation, the kingdom of God's Son. We couldn't get away from that ourselves. We needed to be rescued, and Jesus' death rescues us. Third thing it does, the cross redeems us. Verse 14. Uh, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. In whom we have redemption. And this is the language of being bought, that God has paid a price for us so that we can belong to him. In the Bible, it sometimes speaks about this, uh, uses the word ransom as well. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid a price so that we can be brought back 
to God. We've been purchased by God. Fourth thing. Paul says that we have been reconciled to God, verse 20. And through him, uh, I'll read from verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is the language of relationship breakdown. We meant to be in a relationship with God. We have become God's enemies. We have become separated from God, alienated from God, and God has reconciled us. This is picked up again in verses 21 and 22. You were, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you. So Jesus' death brings us back to God and fixes the relationship so that we are now back in a good, peaceful relationship with God. And then Paul says that we have been made presentable to God by Jesus' death on the cross, verse 22. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. And there's three different ways in which he presents us. So this is sort of three mini stories here. Uh, To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So first of all, Jesus died to make us holy. The implication is that throughout the way we treated God, we became unholy, we became profane, we're meant to be sacred to God, and we've become unsacred, we've become unholy, but now Jesus, through his death, has made us holy again. He's sanctified us. He's made us special to God again. But it also says that he's presented us without blemish. And a blemish is something unsightly that we don't want to look at. Um, And so this is more like the aesthetic kind of category, that the way we've treated God is, if we could see the reality of it, we'd go, ew, yuck, I don't want to look at that, That's, that's horrible. And what has Jesus done by his death on the cross? He's taken that away, he's gotten rid of our blemish so that we are not repulsive to God, but actually presentable to him. And the third thing that he says about being presented to God is that he's presented us free from accusation. And this is more like the sort of legal picture, that there are lots of accusations that could be made against us for the way that we've treated God and the way that we've lived our lives and the way that we've treated each other. And uh, we could be certainly be accused and found guilty of those things, but Jesus in dying on the cross has taken that away, that we're not able to be accused of anything anymore. There's no charge against us. That theme's continued in chapter 2, verse 14. He he forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Everything that could be said against us, everything that could legitimately be brought against us, it's been nailed to the cross. Jesus has taken it away so that we are free from accusation. That's seven. And number eight, how are we going for time? Are you, is some, someone keeping the time? Yeah, I know at least one of you is. Uh, number eight is that Jesus' death liberates us from evil. Chapter 2, verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities... 
he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The idea here is that um, human life as it's normally lived, the world, um, which Paul has already called the realm of darkness, the dominion of darkness, the reason that human beings are trapped in that, one of the reasons is that we are under the influence of spiritual evil. That there are powers in the, in the world that actually keep us trapped and love to keep us separate from God and love to keep us from turning to God. And, but by the, dying on the cross, Jesus has liberated us from the influence of those powers and authorities. In fact, he's kind of humiliated them by taking on himself all of that guilt. Okay, so that's a fair bit that we've seen uh, just in one passage of the Bible, that Jesus by his death qualifies us, rescues us, redeems us, reconciles us, presents us holy, presents us without blemish, presents us free from accusation and liberates us from evil. And um, we could easily add lots more pictures from the rest of the Bible that Jesus' death is a cleansing, takes away uh, the, the dirt of sin, that Jesus' death is a healing, it heals us of our wounds, that Jesus' death is a removal of shame, that Jesus' death is the way that God establishes his covenant with us, his agreement with us and so on, and lots more besides. Just a couple of things that I think lie behind these pictures which... I think are really foundational. First of all, that Jesus' death is something that brings the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. And did you notice that language a couple of times there in the passage? Um, in chapter 1, verse 13, he's res- uh, in whom we have, re- sorry, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So specifically there, Paul says that when Jesus, the price that Jesus paid is a price that forgives our sins. And then later on in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, um, he forgave all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness. The reason there are no charges against us is because Jesus' death brings the forgiveness of sins. And the way that it does this, um, according to the Bible, is by being a sacrifice for us. That language is there in the way that Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 1, by making peace through his blood. That language of Jesus' blood is the language of sacrifice, and that language of sacrifice is really common in the New Testament, to to say that Jesus' death was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we heard this last week in 1 John chapter 4, which um, you might remember says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the reason why those other things are true is because our sins have been forgiven. We can be reconciled to God because the things that we did to push God away are now forgiven. The reason that we're set free from the influence of spiritual evil is that there's nothing for those powers to accuse us of. There's no longer any way that they can keep us trapped Um, in our sins. So Jesus' death as a sacrifice lies behind all these pictures. And secondly, the the idea that Jesus is our substitute and our representative. In in each case, in almost all of those pictures, Jesus is taking our place in some way. When he is the ransom for our sins, he 
is uh, taking our place. And, uh, but Jesus is also a representative. Uh, that is, he's the Christ. he dies as the Christ, the King, and so he dies uh, on behalf of his people. So you might say, well, Jesus could be a substitute, but he's only one person, and so he could only substitute for one of us, right? Is that, that would be a fair exchange, one for one. But Jesus also dies as a representative, that is, on behalf of his people, and so he can die for many. He can be a substitute for many people. All right. Uh, and so we, see, we hear that kind of language, for example, in, in the, the piece of Isaiah uh, that Tom read for us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our transgressions. He was pierced for our... Sorry, and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Substitution. Or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For, you, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Okay, so that's a lot of pictures. He qualifies us, rescues us, redeems us, reconciles us, presents us, liberates us. He's a substitute. He's our representative. He, his death brings forgiveness of sins. Now, you're probably thinking, now, Rob... Are you expecting me to remember all these? Is it like going to be a test at the end? Why, you know, what's the point of going through all of these different pictures so quickly? Um, no, you don't have to know them all. You might say, look, isn't it enough for me just to say, look, all, all I know, Rob, is that Jesus died for me. Isn't that enough? Yeah, that's enough. That is enough to know. Um, but actually, I... I, we have to believe that uh, all of these pictures are in the New Testament because all of them are helpful for us. They may not be immediately helpful for us all the time, but all of them are going to be helpful for the people of God at some point. And so it's good for us to get to know them. Uh, let me just suggest a few ways that I think it could be really helpful for us. First of all, I think this can help us to serve other people in the church, other people who are believers in Jesus, just in the different circumstances of life, because uh, so often, you know, we struggle in different ways, and the word of the cross, the word about what Jesus has done for us, can apply to us in different ways, in different situations, and we can bring that good news into each other's lives in appropriate ways. For example, someone is feeling loaded down with guilt. Someone's feeling loaded down with guilt. What, do you, what can you say to them? They, they say, I feel so guilty for what I've done. You can speak to them that through Jesus' death for them, they are free from ac accusation. There is no condemnation for them. There is no accusation that anyone could bring against them. They are in the clear with God. They are in the right with God. Or someone says, look, I feel, I, just because of what I've done, I feel dirty some people express it that way. I feel dirty because of what I've done. And the good news of the cross is that they are now clean. You can tell them they are clean in God's sight, totally clean, without blemish in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. Someone says, I, I don't even know how God could look at me. I feel so ugly before God. I feel ugly. Say, no, every... 
blemish is taken away. You are perfect and beautiful in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. He loves to look at you and he likes what he sees because of Jesus. Or a person might say, I just feel totally trapped. I can't, can't seem to get away from my old way of life. There is good news in the cross that we are released and we are set free, that the hold of spiritual evil has been broken in our lives. So in different ways, you could speak to others using the various ways that the Bible speaks about the cross in a way that can encourage them and help them and set them free um, in the different struggles that they might have. But it's also helpful for us, I think, in terms of talking to people about the Christian faith who are not believers and helping them to understand something of the truth. Because here you have a whole variety of different images and different ways of talking about it, which may be more or less helpful for different kinds of people at different times. So say you know someone who puts their priority completely on family. Some, sometimes people say, you know, what really matters to me is family. Family comes first, and that's what I really care about. I'm just devoted to my family. Do you know someone like that? You may, you might, you might not. But what could you say to them? How, how might you talk about Christian faith? Could it go something like this? You know, I reckon actually we were made to be part of God's family. That our, our families are good, but there's an even more important family that we're meant to be part of. In fact, God made us to be his children. God made us to be his children, but we have, we have just rejected God. We've said no to God. We've accepted every good thing that he has given wanted to give us, but said to God, Let, look, let's pretend that you're dead. We've, that's how serious our rejection of God has been. But then, in response to that, God does something surprising, sends Jesus to reconcile us to him, to bring us back to him. That actually, uh, Jesus takes on himself all of the anger and the guilt and all the the family breakdown, he, he takes that, all that on himself so that our relationship to God could be repaired and we could be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. That might be a way of talking about Christian faith that would help a particular person. And these other pictures, I think, could be helpful for different kinds of people. Also, these uh, different pictures, I think, help us talk about the faith to people at different ages and stages uh, and different kinds of people from different backgrounds as well. And some of them will help uh, people in different ways. So, for example, talking to a child, uh, maybe helping your child or someone else's child in the church to understand about Jesus. And it could go something like this. Because one of the things that children come to understand at a particular point is about friendship, making friends at school, and also the, the pain of when... People don't want to be friends, right? Well, you could say, you know, the story is a bit like this, that God made us to be his friends, and he wants us to be his friends, but we say no to God. We, we say we don't want to be your friend. In fact, we, we become God's enemies. God, God's response to that is to send Jesus. Uh, and by sending Jesus, God actually... And the way Jesus died on the cross means that we can be God's friends again. That he'll forgive us for saying no to him. And he'll forgive us for not wanting to be friends. And he'll make us his friends again. Or imagine someone from a culture uh, where the, the, 
you know, one of the key preoccupations is about honour and shame. You could say, you know, the way we treated God, that really, I mean, that we, we will be totally ashamed about that when that comes out into the open. We'd be totally exposed to shame when the reality of what we've done is made clear. But, you know, God sent Jesus to take all the shame on himself. When he died on the cross, it was the most shameful thing that could be done to a person. Jesus took all that shame on him so that we could have honour with God again and not be ashamed. And, of course, uh, this, this way of think, these different ways of thinking about what the cross has done helps us to also minister to ourselves, to speak to ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, and this, in, in the positive sense, helps us to have more joy in our faith as we reflect on what Jesus has done. But also actually can help us in those times when we speak to ourselves in negative ways or when uh, the devil you know, tries to uh, discourage us in our faith in various ways as well. In terms of the way we talk to ourselves, we might, you, know, you might be someone who really finds yourself accusing yourself. You experience self-accusation in your life. You say to yourself, I'm, I'm so hopeless, I'll never be good enough to God, I'm, a, I'm an imposter, I'm an imposter with God. But the word that we hear here, the word of the cross is, no, you are qualified. You say to yourself, no, I am qualified. Jesus has qualified me to be one of God's people. You might say to yourself, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. But then the word of the cross that you can say to yourself is, no, all that is gone. It's been nailed to the cross and I'm free of that. Or you might be full of doubts. You might say, oh, I, just, I don't know that God could really care for me. I don't know that God is really interested in me. No, the word of the cross says that God has shown how fully committed he is to us. He's made an agreement, an unbreakable agreement, through Jesus' blood, through Jesus' death on the cross. He has promised that we will be his people forever. We have a covenant with him. So I don't know what... Uh, for you is particularly helpful at the moment or particularly encouraging or joyful for you. At the moment, I just find myself thinking about words from 1 Peter, chapter 1, where Peter says that uh, we were redeemed from a futile way of life, not by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus. And I think that is incredibly helpful for me, that I really would be in a futile way of living if it wasn't for what God has done in Jesus and I think about the amazing price the way that Peter emphasizes that there not not just not gold or silver something truly precious the blood of Jesus uh, God has paid a great price for me to belong to him uh, to set me free from an old way of life and that is a tremendous joy and encouragement to me I wonder what it might be for you Christian faith really is saying yes to these things, saying yes to Jesus, that when you put your trust in Jesus, these things become true of you. You could say, in an abstract sense, uh, Jesus died to redeem people, but when you come to put your faith in Jesus, you can say, Jesus died to redeem me, to buy me for God. 
Well, what we're going to do in response, first of all, is we're going to confess our sins. So if this is true, this good news about Jesus, that we are forgiven through Jesus' blood, then let's come to God and so that we can uh, be forgiven for everything. And then we're going to share together in the bread and the juice, the bread and wine, to remember Jesus and his death for us, to celebrate that together now.